Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, today we are continuing to look at free will, and on Monday's episode we discussed and gave some examples from pop culture about how the the general consensus among people is that free will is not only valuable, it's extremely, extraordinarily valuable. And based on everything we've discussed up until this point, uh, free will factors so heavily into the answer for why God allows evil that we have to take a look at whether or not it really is as valuable as God seems to think that it is. And as we discussed on Monday, it's not just God who seems to think that free will is valuable because he allows so much suffering and evil to take place as a result of the abuse of free will. But when we look at our own perspective in media and television and movies, we would agree that free will is also likewise extremely valuable, even to the point where as many protagonists in in movies and things express is that they're willing to sacrifice almost anything for free will. It's that valuable. And they're always portrayed, these characters, as the hero, as the protagonist. They're the ones we're supposed to root for, and by extension, they're the ones we're supposed to agree with. And so the, I would say, overwhelming position amongst people when we really get down to it is that even though we don't like how free will gets used, we would agree, at least for us, that free will is very valuable. But as I said on Monday, there is also a paradox uh, that gets created with free will. And I want to explain in this episode kind of what I mean by that is if I were to say to you that, you know, free will is important That's not to say that by that I would mean, or probably anyone else would mean, that that means that my will is something that should always be done in sort of this perverse uh, version of the the Lord's Prayer, where it's my will uh, be done. That's not the case. If someone expected that their will always got done just because they had the ability to freely choose, that would basically make them a baby. <laughs> if we look at infants and, and toddlers, I mean, my, my littlest kids, they, they just expect that they can, they're going to get whatever they want always. And when they don't, they throw a little hissy fit about it. And part of growing up and maturing is understanding that even though we do have the ability to choose, that doesn't mean that everything is within our means of control. There's that that whole sphere of influence idea. There's what we can affect, and then there's a whole lot of other things that fall outside of that. So having free will and saying it's valuable is not to say that that therefore means that we should always get what we want. We know that that's not the case. Nor does it mean that uh, that we would get our will absolutely. Uh, that would make us not necessarily a, a, an infant, but that would make us akin to some sort of dictator where we just get to impose our will. But but the paradox there is, what about everyone else who is supposed to have free will? That at some point, what I want is going to come into direct conflict with what someone else wants. And in that case, then who wins? 
And this is where, again, free will isn't absolute because compromise is needed at some point uh, in order for the world to go around. And because there isn't just one will out there, then uh, it's not an absolute thing either. And what's even more interesting is if you look at the example of marriage, for instance, it's not even about, I mean, we're, we're sort of stepping it down here. It's not my will always. It's not even my will absolutely. When I get my way, I don't even get it completely. What about a marriage situation? Is it even supposed to be my will more than the other person? Or is there sort of a, a, a willingness to sacrifice my freedom for the good of the other person. I think for most married couples, especially uh, especially newlyweds, they they seem you know willing to to sacrifice just about anything for the well being and the goodness of the other person. And I, and I do think that while uh, some of those feelings can change as you're married longer, that the commitment should only grow deeper. Um, and and therefore, I think for couples who've been married a very long time, that 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 willingness and that self-sacrificial nature of their love and commitment to one another is probably more profound than even when they were first married. But the point is, is that when you get in a situation like that with a marriage, um, the the ideal that we all sort of look at and admire is, is actually someone who's willing to sacrifice what they want uh, for the good of the other to the point where, yeah, we, t- we say free will is important, and yet one of the highest ideals that we can look to is someone who is willing to sacrifice what they want for someone else, which seems like a paradox, right? Free will is super important, but the best thing we can do is to give it up. Uh, and if we look at a, a passage like Matthew 6.10, when uh, Jesus is praying to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a, a direct example of this, that Jesus is essentially s- submitting his will to the Father's will and saying, whatever you want, that's what I want. And it's, it's, a, it's a perfect example of what I was just talking about with the, with the marriage analogy there. So this leads us to this weird paradox where it seems like it's not so much the actual having of the free will or, or, or the, the fruition of that will and those choices that is the thing that we find important. It's not the having because we're so willing to sacrifice it. It is the choosing, it seems to me, that is the really important thing. If we actually have the choice, if we have the ability to do other than what we do, then we're okay with not always getting what we want because we knew that we could have done other than what we did. And so we are willingly sacrificing uh, our will. If we don't have the ability to do other than what we do, then there is no intrinsic value to our choices. If let's go back and, and use the husband and wife analogy. If the husband cannot choose uh, to shirk his duties as a husband, if he cannot choose uh, not to to give up watching television and do the dishes, for instance, then there's really no intrinsic value in that choice that he makes. It's not a noble or or right thing for him to do because he can he couldn't have done other than that. And so 
the fact that he could choose to watch TV and instead chooses to sacrifice what he would will to do if it were just up to him and to do something else for the good of his spouse, that is what makes that decision a noble one. That is what makes that decision morally praiseworthy. If he couldn't choose, then it it would just be, but it wouldn't be good. And so the paradox, as I said, is not so much about having free will in and of itself. It's about having the choice to do other than what we do. And I, I would submit to you that um, what if God feels the same way? What if for God, the, the intrinsic value comes from the choice to love him and to submit to him, not even so much just in everyone submitting to him because if everyone has no choice but to submit to god then is there any intrinsic value in that is it really love if i can't choose other than to love god and i'm going to give you some examples from scripture to sort of illustrate this in second peter 3 9 we read this the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. And then finally in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, we read that Luke writes that the, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves not having been baptized by him. And in these three verses, I just want to point out a couple things. It seems as though God does not always get what he wants because even though we we do believe, even libertarians, that God is sovereign, in other words, that ultimately God's will will be done and that his ultimate purposes are never going to be thwarted, um, that this this history, this train that we're on is only headed in one direction, and it's going to end up pulling into the station eventually. But in the meantime, it seems like God has things that he would like to to have happen that we know for a fact will not actually happen. Because God's wish, according to 2 Peter 3.9, is that no one should perish, that no one should be separated from him. And yet we know that that is not the case. The reality is that there are many, many people who will enter an eternity of separation apart from God. Jesus even said that wide is the gate that leads to destruction and that many uh, are there who find it. And even this in Jerusalem, that if it were up to Jesus, Jerusalem would have embraced him and he would have, he would have uh, embraced them back, but they were not willing and Jesus didn't force it. And he allowed them to reject him. And then in Luke 7, that it explicitly says that the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, meaning that God had a different purpose and intention for them than where they ended up. That was that them rejecting him and uh, rejecting God's plan for their lives was not what God would have wanted for up to him because his purpose for them was rejected. So where they end up is therefore not where God wanted them to be. And so it seems as though, again, from God's perspective, it is the choice. It is the ability to do otherwise that really makes 
our choosing of him and our submitting to him and our calling upon him to save us and to be our Lord and recognizing him as God. It's our ability to do other than that that makes that choice valuable to God. Otherwise, we'd be robots, wouldn't we? And so I want us to think about that and consider that. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm going to get into some objections, some common objections that come up with regard to free will and, and just questions that come up about, well, okay, yes, it seems like God values free will, but couldn't God give us free will and X, Y, or Z? You know, couldn't God give us free will and still prevent evil and suffering and all the pain and things that we see? We're going to talk about that and take a look at, at how feasible that actually is uh, tomorrow.